1: What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo.
2: Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan.
1: Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th?
2: 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy.
1: Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event.
2: MBUX command simulated.
3: Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 135 of Missile Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined on the show today by a podcast host, a terrific musician, a Barcelona admirer. Man, why don't I have him on more? Uh, oh yeah, it's he supports Manchester United, but that's okay. I'm still so excited to reintroduce Musa Akwanga to the show. Hello, Musa, how you doing?
4: I'm oh, great. Thank you so much for having me back. I absolutely love this show, and it's great to be back on it, so thank you so much for having me.
3: Well we are enjoying to have you and again the reason we're having you is pretty clear to see for everybody. We're talking Manchester United and even if you think this is a preview just for Wednesday's match, we're going to be talking about some grand ideas that if you're what if you're listening to this rather after wednesday's match i think there's still some important things that are going to wind up uh, being evident in the second leg of this one as well so today we're going to get right into it, it again it is pretty much all talk about the red devils and the upcoming champions league fixture today's La Gran pagunta how will ole gunnar solskjaer the manchester united challenge barcelona and the place we start here is the reason i put his name in La Grand pagunta and the title Solskjaer took over for the uh, the, let's see, the, uh, the Barcelona the beloved Barcelona figure, Jose Mourinho. So Solskjaer takes over, winds uh-huh. up getting the regular job. And so when Barcelona fans may have seen and were trying to... I mean, again, you love to watch the crumbling House of Cards. That's probably why people watch some of the Mourinho matches. If they haven't <laughs> yeah, seen course. Solskjaer, how are things different? Well,
4: in a funny kind of way, Barcelona facing a Mourinho-led Manchester United might have been a more worrying proposition just because Mourinho is the master of anti-football, nihilism, whatever we call it. What Solskjaer has done for United is he's liberated the attack. Um, Maybe a slight cost to uh, the consolidation of the defence. Because our defence, I think, we conceded 43 goals in the league this season, which is not a, a creditable record by any stretch. What Solskjaer has done is liberated the attack. So The main danger for Barcelona, I think, Will be the speed, and specifically the speed that United could unleash in behind fullbacks. Um, so they've got to be very cautious about that. Um, and the, the challenge for Barcelona, I think, will be if United pick a fast midfield. And I don't just mean a fast attack. I mean a midfield which is mobile. So if they choose someone like Nemanja Matic, who is, you know, someone who really, I suppose, sits there and in front of the defence and doesn't isn't that mobile, as opposed to Scott McTominay then Barca have more of a chance. But if they pick a mobile midfield, then United could prove quite dangerous.
3: Yeah, and I think the important thing that we look at is that Barcelona is going to do one of two things. We know they're either going to go with that... What we've seen in Champions League more so than other places, that 4-4-2 where you have four midfielders across the middle that wind up being a combination of Rakitic, Artur, Busquets... Um, and then either Coutinho or one other. And uh, the other option being Dembele's health, and we'll talk about him a little later, so I'm not going to jump the yeah. gun here, but it's that 4-3-3, obviously. But on the other side of things, Manchester United's tactical breakdown is very interesting to me because the last time out, in their with their recent form of being two wins, two losses, both the Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, where they find themselves sixth place in the Premier League, they used a 3-5-2 against Wolves, But then we saw a 4-3-1-2 with Juan Mata being the one, the attacking 10, creative midfielder. They used that against Watford. Um, And then what they beat PSG was, as you interestingly enough mentioned, McTominay, that in that 3-1 win over PSG that that reversed the tie, they used a 4-4-2. And the other midfielder was Fred. And I I think the idea here is that if you told Barcelona fans that they had to face a, a... a four-four-two with the two guys in the middle being McTominay and Fred, they would sign up for that ten out of ten times. But it, it, but I think tactically that actually works for the way that Man United are, are currently playing and want to operate. But I and I don't know if they would choose to have that three-five-two either. Um, I, 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 there are so many different options that Solskjaer has, and I think he's the one with the ace in the hole as opposed to Valverde, who's going to go with only one of two options. But which of those choices? And again, I, I kind of said I don't think it's going to be that four-three-one-two yeah. because Mata would just be—I think he'd be overwhelmed um, with exactly. Barcelona midfield. It's not but mobile enough. Yeah. Here,
4: here, let's 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 be straight. So I think the four-four-two against PSG was very much a marriage of convenience, given the amount of injuries United had. And it is not the ideal configuration. Frankly, I think with playing with the midfield two against Barcelona in any sort of stretch of football, you're going to get blown away. You cannot play against a club which historically has had, you know, one of the best midfield configurations in Europe with a midfield two. It's it's not going to work. I think that three five two again, was a, a marriage of convenience too. Well, it was inconvenience given we lost twice to Wolves. I think that United playing with three centre-backs... We don't have three ball-playing centre-backs of elite quality. I think the best configuration for United actually is a 4-3-3. We play with a false nine. So Jesse Lingard is the nine, the false nine. And two forwards go either side of him. Very fast forwards, Martial and Rashford. And the reason that works is because Lingard is very good at pressing the centre-backs. He's very good at finding space in difficult areas. And his movement is actually the best of that front three. Um, and then you've got the wide forwards coming in, Marshall and Rashford, really attacking the space in between fullbacks. And you know, with all respect to Barca, if there is any weakness in the Barcelona team, I think it is between the right back and the centre back, and the left back and the centre back. Not Piqué because I think Piqué is underrated still. I think Gerard Piqué is still an underrated defender, uh, one of the arguably one of the most underrated world-class defenders of the last, you know, 10 years, mm-hmm. because of the ground he is forced to cover. So I think that's the I think the the thing for United has to be the quick transitions to the wide forwards Marshall and Rashford.
3: Well yeah, PK is having a really really terrific season. He has had yeah. maybe one or two matches that we've said, "Oh, well he could have been better," but uh mm. yes, he has been a, an absolute rock at the back, but as you mentioned the times that Barcelona have had their issues this season and, you know, their recent form being basically winning everything. And then there was that 4-4 draw against Villarreal, which, you know, as it was happening, I said this is kind of a flash in the pan in that Mm. Villarreal, the way that Barcelona were playing with Alba, uh, then two left-footed center backs, Numtiti and Lengley, and then with Sergio Roberto on the right, they did what they had last year. And what some of the issues were defensively where they really did put those outside backs too far upfield than the isolated two center backs that didn't work together much this year and I expect for Barcelona um and, and we'll get into this in La Ronda but that we're going to see a a tandem of Langley and Piquet obviously with Alba on the left and I think we're going to see Sergio Roberto on the right but I wouldn't be mm. surprised if he went Semedo for the first leg and then he went uh, at home and then you go with uh Roberto in the second leg that would not be too surprising to me. But what is surprising is that, you know, the guy that, again, if you're not watching Premier League football and you're only watching La Liga, you know, we've gotten this far in the conversations and, we, and the, we haven't mentioned Paul Pogba or Romelu Lukaku yet. And in the front three that you, you, know, you broke down, Lukaku was not involved in that. Um, so I, I think you kind of answered the question on your own. Who should Barcelona be worrying about? And it sounds like who should they not be worrying about?
4: Yeah, exactly. And the reason I didn't mention Lukaku is because as much as I like Lukaku, I think that he is an identifiable threat. Um, And it's not even the issue with Lukaku. I just have an issue with teams that use an out-and-out nine because I think in the modern game, you have to keep smart defenders guessing. And with Lukaku, you know where the threat's coming from. So even in the game against PSG where he scored twice, when you have a player like Lukaku, you sacrifice match control to an extent. Where you have a player like Lingard who has greater fluidity and has a better touch on the run, then the ball is kept in circulation more and the threat can come at any one time. And if you shut, we saw it with Belgium in the semi-final against um, France. If you occupy um, uh, Lukaku with the centre backs as they did with MTT and, and Veran, you take him out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Pogba as well. You know, the reason I didn't mention Pogba is because Pogba's form depends on what the two midfielders do behind him. Pogba is not defensively that strong. He can play that role if he gets into a tournament like the World Cup where he has to sort of anchor himself. But if Pogba is kind of caught between the creative and defensive roles, which he wasn't in the World Cup. the World Cup, he was actually primarily defensive. If Pogba is caught between the creative and defensive roles, that's where the danger comes in. Um, If you don't anchor the midfield with two players like McTominay and Fred behind him, then he struggles. Um, So the reason I didn't mention him is because the midfield configuration of the two behind him has to be absolutely right. I would have Fred McTominay there behind him. And if that happens, then then he's very dangerous.
3: And the other thing I want to remind Barcelona fans as well, too, is Jesse Lingard has been around a little longer than we think he is. He is in his mid-20s. He's not a, a spring chicken. And Marcus Radf- Rashford has had a, a ton of games and a ton of important games under his belt as well. So it's not like they're going, they're going into a, a green side by any means. Now, another... Right. Yep. Another interesting tactical wrinkle for United is the way they use their wing backs as well. And I expect 20 year old Portuguese right back in Diogo Dolo will be, uh, not his pronunciation pending, but I think the young Portuguese right back will most likely get the start as he has had in their most important matches of the season. And then Luke Shaw, who has returned from that broken leg and has completely reinvented himself. And it seems like he was always in the tabloids with Mourinho, either because Mourinho loved him too much or love to hate him or it was it seemed to be something different every day for the Englishman and uh, Jose Mourinho but it seems like he really has carved out a nice place at the left back spot for Solskjaer um, and I yeah so the question would be how are Man United utilizing those wing backs they're not pushing too far they're staying home but yet they're a really right. important part of the attack
4: I think what's going to happen the fullbacks fun enough is I think that we're going to go a kind of we might even do a Barca in the sense that we might have a relatively conservative fullback. Um, so for the Sergio Roberto role, we might actually have Ashley Young to start with. Mm-hmm. And for Luke Shaw, for Jordi Alba, we'll have Luke Shaw. Now, actually, Luke Shaw is fairly good defensively these days. He's actually probably our best defender, I would say, at the moment, um, which is going to he'll need to be because he'll be up against, I would say, Messi on that flank primarily. I know Messi switches wings, but he'll he'll find himself against Messi quite a lot, cutting in perhaps. Um, And I think the reason that we might have um, Young there instead of Dalot is Dalot is tremendous going forward, but there are gaps behind him. It's why you've seen him in a a wing-back configuration as opposed to a a back four so much, because he's still young, he's still learning his craft, and the problem is that we'll get on to Dembele. In a second, a player like Dembele, who is utterly ruthless at attacking space, could expose um, that inexperience.
3: Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that was the thinking, too, that... I guess we talk about the X factor that Solskjaer does have all these options but when right. you regardless of the Manchester United back two and being the center backs where whether it's Smalling I would not expect him to go with Phil Jones it seems like it'll, it would be Chris Smalling and Victor Lindelof the uh the Swedish center back that again not too good under Mourinho but having a second life now here uh under Solskjaer and Absolutely. I would but I I think the again the fear comes and this is a, it seems to be a joke, but it's a truth, that many United fans should be afraid of the idea of a one-on-one isolation between Suarez, um, or worse, Messi, against uh, the likes of Chris Smalling, who, again, he has that physicality, but as we know, Barcelona are not ever going to try to uh, win a header and score a goal on a set piece, but Barcelona are going to try to break you down through the middle, through one-two combinations between the best of friends in Suarez and Messi, and, again, trying to isolate any of those center backs wouldn't be just awful for them uh, if you did, if you had a a right back that was not staying home uh, and and trying to deal with that threat. It's
4: funny because Pep Guardiola talked about Iniesta a
3: few years ago and said what Iniesta taught him was the value of
4: attacking center backs. And if you look at like the top European teams, the weakness that they've had really enough, if you look at like Atletico Madrid, if you look at Borussia Dortmund, they're weak down the middle and it's almost the kind of crossbow approach, attack the heart of the, the defense and if you attack the heart of United, there are rich pickings there. This is the fear that we have, absolutely, and that's why our defence midfielder has to be the right person. If, if Nemanja Matic is named in front of our back four, I won't know to, I'll, I'll be concerned, because mm-hmm. Matic has been attacked consistently and they found space behind him uh, for the last 18 months. And Barca, Valverde, i particularly very aware of that. Um, yeah, and the thing about Smalling and Lindelof is that they're probably, I mean, Smalling's distribution is better now, but they're probably the best, to at distributing the ball, playing out from the back. Um, Lindelof is good in terms of controlling space. Neither are particularly fast. So if you get past Smalling or Lindelof, they're not going to catch you. Unlike someone like Varane, for example, who Varane can catch you in a sprint, or MTT, you know, a fully fit MTT can catch you in a sprint. So we're going to really try to avoid getting um, either of those guys in a foot race with Suarez or Messi, quite frankly, I don't think anyone... I don't think they want to be in any kind of foot race with Messi, but um, let's try and avoid that as best we can.
3: Yeah, well, I have to say, a Luis Suarez-Chris Smalling uh, foot race is one that goes in slow motion but and doesn't end well <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> but uh, I mean, and we've been talking about why Man United should be, are in, I guess in this tie, unfortunately for them, seen as the underdog, which is terrifying mm-hmm. to Barcelona fans in, in the same respect because they don't want to be and they haven't really felt good about being that heavy favorite because of the weight of the Champions League campaign this season. It's one that me as a podcast of the Barcelona podcast have felt that there is a weight to every single one of these. And again, it's still just the quarterfinal. And, you know, the, all the little factors that go into this that we have to really break down uh, about this one, that Barcelona have had they had that midweek match last week against Villarreal. Then they play on the weekend atletico madrid with a starting eleven that I'm going to expect Ernesto Alverde might go with the exact same starting eleven and that was yeah. a, in that in that grueling match against atletico madrid that yes they went 2 nothing but those two goals come in in the the in the middle of the 80th you know, the 80th yeah. minute, they come in the 85th and or 86th and 87th, whatever it was, uh, what have you, and they had to wait so long to finally break down Atletico Madrid that only had 10 men, and in the same respect, Man United, meanwhile, had been at home on their couches with their feet up, resting for 10 yeah. days, and I wonder... Well,
4: good. Well, that's the perfect dress rehearsal. Actually, can I just say this? Sorry to jump in there. No, no, please. That is the perfect dress rehearsal for Barcelona. What better dress rehearsal could you have for a Champions League quarterfinal than a game against Atleti, who frankly, and I was talking to my friend about this, Ryan, on our other podcast, I was saying there is no team of what well, there's there's no other team of world football whose chances of winning actually go up once they go down to ten men. Yeah. That's Atleti. That's Atleti. Like they they are they Atleti are like a black hole. You know there's those black holes, the supermassive black holes from which even light cannot escape. That's Atleti when they've got ten men. So for Barca to break them down, what was fascinating about the game of watching Barca beating Atleti it's similar to the approach that I'll need against Solskjaer, um, Solskjaer's Manchester United. It was watching a team slowly winning an arm wrestle. And what I mean by that is if you look at the last quarter of that game, Barca Atleti, if you look at the way that Messi in particular was creating space with the 1-2 and was finding space in the final third, working it out across the wings, they've been problem-solving. When you play Atleti, they're like a sparring partner. They they force you into so much problem-solving that by the time they play United in midweek, those, those types of scenarios will be so fresh in their minds and they'll be like, oh, four days ago, this is what happened. This is how we broke down a deep line defence of a higher quality than what we're facing now, if that makes sense. Whereas United, unfortunately, they've had 10 days. and I actually think 10 days is a bit too long to wait for a team like Barca.
3: Yeah. And I think Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And I I think the other thing about Messi, too, is that I I, maybe it was just my eyes deceiving me again. It's a lot more helpful when you're at the stadium. But for me, Messi was and he was not pressing at all. That was Barcelona was believing that Atletico Madrid, especially when they went down to 10 men, that once they had no target number nine with Diego Costa, that they were really putting everybody behind the ball and counterattacking was not necessarily you know Barcelona were allowing them to try to build through their midfield and build out of the yeah. back when they were down to 10 and so Messi was walking around a ton and so if you don't believe that he wasn't going at you know when he when the ball turned over and Barcelona had possession Messi was of course going at Messi level 100 but defensively yeah. he was giving 25 30% effort i mean he was there were times when it would, it would be so funny to me that Rakitic would wind up being the guy that would run past him to put pressure on the ball to the left back or to the yeah. uh, to, to the late, I mean the the deep lying attacking midfielder, and Messi would just walk right behind him and almost in support, walking into passing lanes if he could. And you know, I, I know that that is his conservation of energy. And Suarez, meanwhile, you know, was running around. But as we've seen with Suarez, it's either his knees are bothering him and he's not in great shape, or he's yes. ready to go and going to you know give all that he can as, uh, until the breath leaves his body. And that's what we're seeing. And so then that final part is that. Just like Man United, in a sense, Usmane Dembélé is also resting now. He historically has had, whenever he's put in a big match after an injury layoff, he always gets re-injured, or at least nine times out of ten he does. And he particularly he struggles in those, but he does come out of the gate flying, and he does add that X factor. And you know we were talking about it right before the uh, off air, but the way Valverde uses Dembélé is the X factor. Not even is Dembele the X factor in this game, but the way Valverde uses Dembele and the instruction that he has particularly given that has, in the past, we were talking about Roma off air, unfortunately, as I always do in my nightmares, but we talk about, we talk about how Dembele is that, that missing piece because of his yes. speed, what he does yes. differently.
4: Well, but Dembele, what I love about him most of all is he's encouraged to do the sports of his own initiative. Dembele is brutal. Um, at, with space, uh, Gary Neville once said about Cristiano Ronaldo that Cristiano Neville was a, was a bully. He identified weakness like few other footballers he would ever seen. And Dembélé attacks space in the most ruthless fashion. If you look at the game against Chelsea, you know the first season he was there when he scored on the break. Messi's brilliant break and Dembélé cutting in. He just has a nose for it. He, it's an absolute um, gift of his. So it's not just the speed. It's the angle that he arrives at speed. You know, there's many fast players in the, in, in the Premier League. You know, there's Gareth Bale, for mm-hmm. example. Gareth Bale, you know, and, and Dembele. That, you know, even a fully fit Gareth Bale and Dembele, there's not that much difference in, in a foot race, but it's the angle and the timing of the runs that Dembele has that are so devastating. And also the knowledge that he's such a fantastic finisher puts full-backs on the back foot, so automatically you have this room. You know, it was it was Neymar and Dembélé are very different players. But the thing with Neymar and Dembélé had in common is that they are devastating on the break. They can lead a counter attack, um, both as the initiator and as the the person on the very end of it. Um, and that that is the X factor. There's, there's really no other winger in the Barca team with that complete skill set. I think or wide forward. I think.
3: Yeah, and the way that Ashley Young has been playing, uh, even we've mentioned that he's been playing as a center back as well in that 3-5-2 at times when they've gone to Mm -hmm. it. And Ashley Young... You know he is a little bit longer in the tooth than he once was, and he was one of the fastest players in world football for a long time, and he still has some of it. But you could expect a lot of fouling going on there because Ashley Young is somebody who's going to want to force him to the outside. But yes, uh, if it is Coutinho, then the Ashley Young Coutinho matchup I think is very interesting because we saw, if I remember right, maybe a year or two ago with when Liverpool were playing, basically the uh, the budgeting error of a four of their four three three under Klopp that Coutinho. There were moments when he was having a field day with Ashley Young, but then in other times that once Ashley Young has kind of figured out that if you can bottle him by forcing him to his right and expecting a long shot, obviously Man United is going to live with that against Coutinho, but Dembele, because of Ashley Young's understanding that this guy can beat me, he can beat me to the touchline, he can beat me inside, and you you lose options and you lose the ability to know. To know where to go so I I think again that is still we're recording this Monday so you might know the answer to this by Tuesday or or, you know the day of the match but um, Dembele's fitness uh, to me is the biggest question mark of this entire thing you know and this is no knock on Man United but regardless of their tactical acumen uh, whatever it may be it's going to be Dembele that we're going to worry about uh, and be interested to see Um, it it just exactly what happens here yeah yeah
4: absolutely yeah, absolutely right. Can I just throw this in as well? Sorry to throw this in as well. I just want to say, I mean, this is completely, is not quite on the topic, but I just think that Valverde doesn't get the credit for the job that he's done integrating Dembele into the team and also just presenting a series of tactical problems for different teams because even mentioning the 4 4 2 you did there, that's almost a kind of Atletico Madrid tribute act. You know, to play with four midfielders, four that base or central midfielders, that's what Aletti were doing, I think, three years ago at one point. Um almost like a 4-4-1-1, and the fact that Barca have such tactical flexibility means that they're genuinely so hard to work out, if that makes sense. They're always presenting new problems to opposition, um, and I think that that's going to be a problem for United, it's going to be a problem for us, because you keep us guessing um, in the best possible way.
3: Well, I would almost say the same thing with, with Solskjaer, that I think there's still so many things we don't know, and I can go on record saying that I did actually watch... I. For reasons that I never need to go into on a podcast about Barcelona, but I do tend to watch Cardiff City, actually, in the Premier League when I get the chance. And I did did on their first time as well. Um, And when Solskjaer was appointed the first time to Cardiff City, I mean, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. The players he brought in actually wound up being terrific players in their own right and made a lot of sense. Um, One of the players he utilized at the time was Wilfred Zaha. But it wasn't the Crystal Palace Wilfred Zaha. It was the um, it was the Man United cast-off uh, Zaha, which, again, still yeah. w- wasn't at the level that he is, obviously, now. But so many of the players that he brought in were—he were, had an eye for talent at the time, but it, he wasn't able to put it together, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And there were definitely players that played under him for Cardiff City uh, in, in the Premier League, and then— Later in the championship, at the start of all that, when it just it just wasn't working out, and so I Absolutely. didn't have much faith in him when he took over, and I I got and I, I remember sending a te- an ill-regarded uh, text to a friend, a Man United friend, that was saying, you know, I, I don't know what kind of faith you could should have in because he didn't really do too great, but it seems like he has been completely galvanized in the same way that when Zidane came for Real Madrid. But in a different mm. way, where uh, he obviously hadn't had a first-team job, and so this is his first one. But in the same way that his former club hero, there was something that is completely galvanizing about it. And while Valverde has played, did play for Barcelona, he, you know, he's a hero at Athletic Bilbao. That is where he yes, he was. Yes. That's that's where he, as a player, as a manager, that is his his club, if you will. And Barcelona, he's always felt like it, uh, an outsider, if you will. Even though obviously he's a guy that played there, that that knew the system, knew the history, knew the club. But Solskjaer has this special uh, that that, that's that special tint of Manchester United that's forever going to be be on him, and that just gives him this little extra something. That it's so funny that you can succeed in such a difficult job that Mourinho had failed in before you, and yet you know the clubs that you don't do well are the ones that didn't really make sense in your career.
4: Yeah, so football management. I mean, it's such a complex combination of factors, and now especially that we're in the era of the super club where. Even with United's poor recruiting, it's an expensive squad still. It becomes more about, I mean, it's still tactical, I everyone. Mean, Tactics are still so important, but the importance of the aura is really great. Mm-hmm. The importance of being you know, an emblematic figure. Like, you know, look at Zidane. Zidane, there have been question marks over Zidane's tactical nous in certain respects, but there's absolutely no question marks over the authority that he commands over a dressing room. So when Zidane comes in and basically drops, Courtois for Navas, there is no dispute because it's Sudan, You know, and, and that sort of um, what Solskjaer has in relation to his team, which will be important over two legs against Barcelona, is he has the absolute faith of the players. Um, and these are what we call, I suppose you call in America, the intangibles. These intangibles are going to be so important because, frankly, in terms of natural talent and coordination on the field, and, you know, United do concede quite a lot to Barcelona um, in this tie. So we're going to need Solskjaer to be his most inspirational in this fixture.
3: Well, let's keep talking about Solskjaer as we head into La Ronda. We've got just three questions for you. And first one from Zach. Do you know if Valverde scouted Man United like Solskjaer scouted Barcelona at the Athletic? match and you know I guess I'll take one hack at it first is that I I don't think Valverde saw them in person unless it was much much earlier in the season just because of the the fixtures that Barcelona had to play over the last few weeks and Solskjaer as we talked about had 10 days off with United so he was able to get a good scout in but the other thing I would remind everybody is that you know with every match is filmed and not only have, have I watched the last four matches that Man United played but I bet you that Valverde with different cameras and different angles has seen every match that atletico have recently played i mean not atletico but manchester united have recently played that's just the, the modern world we live in
4: yeah i'll be absolutely amazed that he hasn't analyzed i mean he's, he's valverde this guy i mean I, I can imagine valverde like planning what breakfast he's going to give his kids three months of the right <laughs> sort of you, know, you can imagine him kind of, sort of like you know mapping yeah. out in april in this quarter you're going to eat this 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 you know um so yeah i'm sure he's prepared an incredible um depth for that uh, no, yeah. so The short answer to that is yes, absolutely yes. I think he, he's he's done that.
3: Our second question comes from Minor, and we kind of did tiptoe around this for a while. Who would be your choices for rotation? We'll start this with Barcelona, and then I actually want to get your Man United starting eleven. But first, mm. who would be your choice for rotation based on this weekend's performance against Atletico for Barcelona?
4: Uh, funnily enough, I would. Oh, the only player I would take out would
3: be Coutinho.
4: I think everything else is pretty good. That midfield, Rakitic, Busquets, Arthur, that gives you fantastic match control. Um, did Arthur start or did he come on?
3: No, he started. He started. And then he came off yeah. He came off early, actually, for Malcolm. That was the big wrinkle. Mm.
4: I, I think that is a really good starting team. Lenglet seems to have come to the fore, and I don't see why he'd break up the pk Lenglet centre-back partnership. Much as I love MT, I think he should start. And I think that Roberto Albert, should actually start because i think you play it safe i think with united speed I do, it doesn't make sense to have two fullbacks that push up too high i think one of them can push up but i think you need to have one of them kind of you know babysitting the back four or like you know almost like a designated driver like sitting back a bit um but yeah i think coutinho the problem with coutinho is that he doesn't he comes inside well he does good combination play but he leaves him for overlap. I think you need to crowd the flanks against United. You need to have overlap against Ashley Young, and I don't think that um, Coutinho, Alba is enough of a threat down that flank. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think I'd rotate. I'd bring out Coutinho for Dembele if possible, and that'd be it.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think we agree. I we agree for different reasons about the the. the the wingback situation for Barcelona because I, I incorrectly, and this is a, 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 an in-show correction that they're at Man United first in Manchester on Wednesday, and then they're at Barcelona. So I think on the road, it winds up being Sergio Roberto and he winds up being the guy, even though he got the start against Atletico Madrid. Mm. And the, um and again, I think the Dembele Coutinho isn't really a debate that if Dembele is ready to go, you green light mm. him and uh, but, I mean, I could also see him coming on early, maybe at halftime for Coutinho. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised if it winds up being Suarez, Messi, Coutinho up top. You're not going to see Malcolm, but it could be Coutinho, and then Debelli comes on if the match is calling out for it, and he's not fully fit. But if he's completely green-lighted, I think he'll get the start. And the one, though, correction I want to add is that while Artur, I think, has been—how do I say this? Rakitic and Busquets have had their job and have been more important in, in the hole for Artur— but Artur has changed things so much for the better for Barcelona. But in the right. same respect, Arturo Vidal, there's a part of me, it just it, it's a gut feeling, a gut reaction that says Arturo Vidal will be the guy trusted in the Champions League. And I think Valverde potentially could go with Arturo Vidal in a three-man midfield with Rakitic and Busquets. But as I said, I think it could be just as likely with the way that Coutinho has been playing. For as much trust as Valverde has put in Coutinho, we could see Messi-Suarez in a 4-4-2 with Arturo, Ridal, Rakitic, Artur, and Busquets across the midfield. And I think there's a part of and me that really believe that. that is a superb I really that. That is yeah. a
4: superb... I mean, Arturo Vidal, some of the re, the games he's played recently, well, one of them is over 100 passes, wasn't it? I mean, just unbelievable. Um, over 100 passes completed or attempted in a, in a recent game at a really high percentage of completion. So Arturo Vidal, I mean, you can put that guy in any configuration, and he's brutal. Um, yeah, um, and for the United team, I think... Let's quickly run through the team. I think it should... Well, my ideal team would be a 4-3-3. It would be Tejaya and goal, obviously. Right back, I would actually start Ashley Young and not Dallow. I think Dallow would be um, up against it against the midfield or attack of that quality to start anyway. Maybe bring Dallow on later, but right back, Ashley Young. Centre backs, I think it would have to be Lindelof and Smalling. Left back, Shaw. Centre midfield, I would play McTominay. Um, Herrera, actually. I think Herrera, McTominay, and Pogba,
3: and Herrera plays well against Barcelona as well in the past, historically. And I know it's been a while since his Bilbao days, but he's historically yeah. been someone who's been. That's why Barca have wanted to bring him in in the past because he is. Yeah, he's fitting so well. Yeah,
4: exactly. I think I think Fred is too much of a risk, unfortunately. I think Fred McTominay is too much of a risk. I think McTominay, Herrera behind Pogba, and then your front three. I would say, um, Lingard is the false nine. Lingard basically is a kind of... He's our version of Pedro. He's not as good as Pedro because Pedro is an all-time winger. Uh, Pedro is extraordinary, I think. One of the players. He's kind of our answer to Pedro. So you have him as the false nine. Then either side of him, you have um, Rashford and Martial.
3: Yep, I yeah. that
4: yeah, yeah, that's the team I'd start with.
3: Yeah, for me, I'm hoping we see Lee Grant in goal, if that sounds good with you. Uh, so rest to heyer for this one. And then in the back, <laughs> we'll put Marcus Rojo... And Phil Jones, I, I, you know, I think that's how I'll set it up. But actually, I think you nailed it. I think to me, that four three three seems the most dangerous. And you know, it's this funny thing when teams go against Barcelona that you know, uh, his the smaller teams that succeed do well by obviously playing a low block and sitting deep and all of these things. But in the same regard, I think Man United has to have the belief that you know they have a hundred million euro player in Paul Pogba. And yeah, allowing him to do whatever he can, he is an unguardable force in world football. As much as as much as Busquets and Rakitic are trusted, and uh, again, if I think there's any two defensive midfield combination to try to cover, and uh, but and that's the puzzling thing about Busquets, right? Is that he's over six feet tall, and yet he plays like someone who's five foot seven. So th- that, this this weird yeah. physical matchup between Busquets and I mean Rakitic is is obviously a few inches shorter than Paul Pogba as well. So I think a a a premier a uh, premier point must be made about set pieces here as well, that I, I think both teams have an advantage on set pieces against the other. And this kind of correlates to our last question that Rick asked, is there concern that only Messi and Suarez are, are generally getting on the score sheet? And one of the ways that Messi in the last month has gotten on the score sheet is on free kicks and, and and stop all situations. And in the same regard, Manchester United are just again, it's the Premier League where set pieces are an important part of what you do offensively. And with yeah. the height of Man United, you know, Barcelona historically, that is their their issue. That is their error. And if it's not Marcus Rashford or Martial cutting out on the counter-attack, I'm not terrified of the Manchester United attack without those two guys on the counter-attack. Again, that being the only point. But then set-pieces are also the other issue where you really worry that Paul Pogba, with his physicality, with how tall he is, that if it's not his head getting on it, it's that second ball that really terrifies me.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny because the second ball has been a constant problem. I think, you know, one thing Pogba's really worked on recently is the timing of his runs. Um, You know, as we all know, like, the height is nothing without timing, and Pogba has really worked on attacking the near-post ball. Um, and Marcus Rashford, look out for him on set pieces. His delivery is really improving all the time, and Solskjaer has liberated him in that sense. So, yeah, there are some challenges. I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, Messi and Suarez scoring all the time, because, frankly, a lot of the teams they played against, I don't know, like... You look at the game the other day, Messi and Suarez, they're really the only two players in that team good enough to score against Atleti. So Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I think that Barcelona having a little bit of stage fright. I think that Roma, I don't want to mention that too often, but I think the Roma game is a source of trauma for Barcelona fans. But it shouldn't be because the problems against Roma were foreshadowed. The second you looked at that team sheet, you knew they were going to struggle. I remember watching Barca against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, they beat them 3-1. I think uh, Messi was out until quite late. Or, but no, I think Chavi was out. And in that game, although Barca won 3-1 very late on with a kind of, I think it was a late assist from uh, Dani Alves or something, the ball circulation was so slow in the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. And when Barca play without speed, they always struggle. If Barca play with speed, I and mean, this is why Malcolm was such an incredible signing for them, he'll be a big factor later on. He's kind of your like, Kingsley Coman figure. Yep. If Malcolm, you know, just keeps getting 20 minutes here and there, as Valverde has been doing with him, he's going to be your kind of, he'll be the X-factor's X-factor,
3: if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, yeah, it does, for sure. Yeah.
4: So, you know, I, I, I'm a United fan, I shouldn't be saying this, but if um, Barcelona just keep their focus, they shouldn't, be, they, they shouldn't be losing sleep over these next two games. Right. You know, they, should, they shouldn't be.
3: Yeah, I mean, and there are certainly more uh, difficult opponents still left on the horizon if they get by Man United. it's it, The Champions right. League is about beating the best of the best. That's why it's the Champions League, and we're down to the quarterfinals yeah. now. So every team you get is going to be a difficult ask. And I, I think Man United defeated a PSG team that are ready to be defeated. And as we've seen with Messi all this season long, and this is an adage about him scoring as well, but if he's scoring and, you know, Coutinho and Rakitic use long shots to try to space the defense and... You know, Rakitic does put in the occasional goal, and the reason he shoots from from distance is just to create that space for Messi and create that shooting space for others because he winds up just being a threat in the back of a defense's mind, even though, you know, his tally mark is not what it could be. And Coutinho, still in the same way that he, because he can at any time take a long shot, it still has to be something that you game plan for and you think about. But as I've said, if Messi's scoring every goal but Barcelona winning, it doesn't matter. It comes down to wins, and, and that's all. That's really the true point that, that, that matters here. And as I've said at the beginning of this season, during that Gamper Trophy presentation when the captain speaks, Messi said, yes. my focus is the Champions League. I mean, this is where I have hope. This is the thing that, you know, for all the Roman nightmares, the thing that helps me sleep at night is that Messi has has said and has been steadfast in saying that we basically have already won La Liga and the Copa del Rey is down to one game, and my focus this year for all of the other Things has been the Champions League.
4: Yes, and he's terrified. Messi to state his intent. Like, you know, Messi doesn't. There's a great interview with Busquets by Sidlow in the Guardian. I think it's today. And Busquets was kind of laughing. At, you know, Messi doesn't say much. When Messi speaks, it's it's something to listen to. And it reminds me of the moment. You know, when, Guardi- when um, Guardiola is under the under of the basement in the basement of the new Camp, and he's worried. I think they've lost their first game. They've drawn their second. And Iniesta goes down and sees him when the basement he goes. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna effing do this. Um, we, the, the guys are behind you, and that that sort of statement of intent from Iniesta, a guy that doesn't speak that much, but when he speaks, it really carries weight. Messi really set the tone for this season. Mm-hmm. You know, when he said that and he went on the record of saying it, he basically called out the league because if you think about this, if you if you're if you're playing against Barca and you know that Barca are going for the Champions League, if you're like a team like. You know, Abar or Levante or whoever or Betis, you're going to go harder at Barcelona because you're going to know they're going on all three fronts. But they have absorbed, Barca have absorbed La Liga's best shot. They've taken every hit and they're 11 points clear. So Messi actually was very clever psychologically. He was like, We're the front runners, we're putting ourselves out there, we're leading with our chins. He's almost like daring himself to excel. And look at Messi's form this year what 43 goals in 40 games? That's what it is, right? This season. Yeah. That's absolutely off the scale. Like, Leo Messi is more, he's terrifying now. He's genuinely more frightening because Messi can hurt you in so many more more ways than before. He can go in, he can go out, he can go left, he can go right, he can drop deep against Atleti. He basically was counter-attacking in possession. If you look how much room he was leaving between the centre-backs and himself, if you look how late Messi was arriving in the box, so he wasn't standing on the toes of the centre-back, he was coming from 30 yards away, playing what we call the wall parceling, and the one-two, then arriving, and then one-touch shoot, you know, against Oblak. Like, he's found so many different ways to to crack the defensive safe, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's obvious that he's the danger man, and everyone knows that Messi is going to be the man to stop, but you don't know anymore how he's going to stop, how he's going to come at you. For sure. Uh, if that makes sense, yeah.
3: Nope, yep. And then, um, the, I mean, the first half of the season, he was using Jordi Alba. As that main guy, yep. and as, as tactics have adapted over the season, we've seen that, again, maybe it is that Alba's run many, many hundreds of miles over the course of the season, but that one two option has been utilized less than the last month and yet Barcelona have continued winning and it's with different ways and uh, you know, I think we at the Barcelona Podcast have had a big victory here by having you on the show, Musa. so again, thanks so much for joining us and before you go, I just want to ask, where else can people find you and we're also uh, reminded that we'll have all your links down in the, uh, they call it the doobly-doo, but in the show notes as well. Yeah, Uh,
4: do you know actually there's three quick places you can find me. You can find me on Twitter, which is my um, handle my surname, okwonga you can find our podcast. It's the Rabona Mag. It's Rabona, uh, like the sort of the Rabona kick. Um, Mag, Rabona Mag. And finally, on Spotify, my group. We just signed a record deal with a label in Hamburg. We're called BBXO Electronic Music Diro. Um Yeah. Most importantly, I'm a, I'm a big sort of admirer of what Barcelona are doing. I, I love watching them play. So, yeah, just drop me a line on Twitter. And we'll talk football because I'm, I'm always, uh, always happy to chat Barcelona.
3: Well, all of his info again is down in the show notes. You can find that by tapping your app. Check out the show notes to subscribe to our show as well, because we're also on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions, also a little runday questions. You can help us out on Patreon where we have our match reviews, and we can continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast, and I hope to have something in the next few days out as well, going and breaking down the history of Barcelona and Manchester United, which include, obviously, two of Barcelona's Champions League victories. But you can check us out again and hit that subscription button for that. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Thanks to Musa for joining the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. i